0: Hi, I'm Kira Homing, and you are listening to the Big Isken podcast. One Nation, One Tribe.
1: This podcast is produced on Treaty Eight territory, the traditional territories of the many First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. We would like to express our gratitude and respect for this land and all those who reside here, both past and present. We are all Treaty people. One Nation, One Tribe. How do we encourage youth to embrace their cultural identity? In this episode of the Bayeguskan podcast, Russell Willier, Brett English, and Remy Tucker sat down with Len Ogier, president of the Grand Prairie Friendship Center, business owner, knowledge keeper, and youth mentor. Len is an inspiring community development leader and his impact on the lives of youth is evident through his simple but profound message. Be proud of who you are.
0: Welcome to the podcast. We really want to start on a serious note. Can you tell us your favorite flavor of potato chip and why it's your favorite flavor?
2: Well, I think my favorite chips are regular because they're quite salty. Could you tell us about the Friendship Center? The Friendship Center, I mean, I've i been involved quite a bit, so I'm quite familiar with what goes on. And uh, because I'm the president, I get to hear and see everything that goes on uh, in, in relation to all our programming. Uh... There's quite a history here in Grand Prairie for our Friendship Center, Uh, if you you know uh, our first Friendship Center opened in uh, 1965. And so we've been around for quite a while now and uh, uh, as the years went on uh, our programs uh, improved quite a bit and a number of programs that we have also improved. Most of our program is kind of geared towards uh, prevention, preventative uh programs uh, like for children for babies for parents for mothers and then we have the supportive type programs where uh downstairs in the uh outreach center we have the community kitchen which is a big thing here in grand prairie uh that one was in collaboration with the salvation army where they used to have a soup kitchen and we had a, a meals kitchen and we combined And to me, that's probably one of the biggest programs that we have. We provide a lot of meals to uh, our homeless people, our vulnerable population, uh, and even our low-income, where we get families uh, that come in for supper. So when we take a look at uh, what goes on at the Friendship Centre, I believe we have 16 official programs that uh, require uh, highly qualified people to be able to work in them. Uh, we have uh, a clothing closet where people can come in and get free clothing if they need it. So, yeah, we. when I think about a simple sentence about the Friendship Center, I believe we're here to help our people. And nowadays, it's not just Indigenous. We're open to anybody, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, we do get a lot of different people of different cultures here, and so I think we're doing real well.
0: Brett and I took part in a culture camp last summer where you taught us a lot about culture and nature. What is the most compelling factor to you to teach youth?
2: Well, I'm I'm a firm believer that uh, culture, cultural teachings, ceremony, traditional, they need to start at the youth. In fact, we may even consider starting at a younger age where when when we talk about some of our programs here, they do get to do a lot of cultural stuff. But as we get older and uh, we get into the youth groups, to me that's probably the one of the more important phases because not only do uh, we get to teach the youth, but they also get involved. They actually get in there and start doing things together. If you remember last year too, I think uh, we even tried to dry some meat at uh, the one group that we were at. And so we uh, need to actually uh, provide more reality in the teachings rather than just talk. So as an example, right now, I do mentoring at the schools and I do cultural uh, teachings. And I bring all the medicines and I get to the youth to actually hold it and hold it and smell it so they can actually see what the medicine is all about. And I also demonstrate and talk about uh, all the other different medicines like rat root and fungus or chaga. And they get to see that and they get to hold it so they know... If they ever go out in a bush, they have an idea of what they're looking for. And so that's what I mean by we need to be doing more reality in our culture camps. As an example, today I was with the yeah, Aspen Grove School, grade sixes, no, grade sevens. And I got them to help putting up the teepee. I made them handle the poles. I made them set them up. That's reality. And, and so they get to experience actual things that need to be done. So to me, uh, to build on your question, I I think when we talk about uh, cultural teachings for whatever, whoever, uh, we do need to include uh, a bit of reality in it. Simple as that. So I firmly believe that, and I do that.
3: Do you bring the youth out to pick herbs?
2: I have, and I also worked with elders. I've taken elders out to, uh, uh, As here's an example, uh, with the Alberta Native Friendship Centers, which I'm part of, every summer we had an elders and youth gathering at Jasper, and there we did a lot of cultural activities. And one of them was actually going out and picking sage and other medicines. So we take the elders out, and it's a little tougher when you're with elders because you know their, their mobility is a little different, not as good as ours. But then we take the youth out, and of course, uh, you know. When we went out looking for a rat root, they just jumped in the water and started digging it out. So like the elders wouldn't do that. But uh, yeah, no, I've taken a lot of youth out. Uh, I've taken a busload of kids at, uh, at the uh, ski trails, Nordic ski trails. I've had about 60 grade sixes there. And we went around picking all the different things that we could find. Uh, I made them offer tobacco before we went out and I said we need to offer tobacco before we pick anything and that's in respect to the tradition and uh, we went out and they picked uh, I made them go look for a uh, fungus off of trees and some of them actually did real well looking and so again reality right part building on your question is when we take them out we need to make sure that we're demonstrating, we're showing, we're looking for all the things that our people use for years. Can you tell us
3: about your journey of becoming a small business owner?
2: Okay, well I guess there's two parts to that. I guess the first part with me is uh, I worked for Procter & Gamble Warehouse for over 30 years. And in there, uh, I, I came up through the system where I was an operator when I first went there in my early years. I actually started there when I was 18, right out of high school. And I slowly worked my way up the corporate ladder. And then the later years, I went into safety and got qualified in safety. I'm safety management. And then I went to uh, be the safety manager at uh, several mills in my career, my last 16 years. I was a safety manager at Drayton Valley Lumber, and I was a safety manager at Slave Lake OSB. And then I went to a brand new mill in Saskatchewan for 12 years. So a lot of experience in safety, so just to build on your question, because of the experience and my certifications and qualifications, I took early retirement and started my only my own safety consulting business. And so I do a safety consulting and I do a safety training and part of my business also nowadays in the last two, three, four years, I've added uh, my cultural teachings into my business. So based on experience personal knowledge uh, working with other elders and all that the more you learn the more you can do i'm not a ceremony type of elder i'm more of a knowledge keeper educator so if you take a look at that from that perspective Uh, the second part of your question which was i forgot i was asking
3: about your overall mission for social development and the grand prairie region
2: Okay, well, uh, when I started with the Friendship Centre, when we came back to Grand Prairie in 2011, I, I rejoined the board. I used to be on the board before before I transferred out. I was actually on the board from uh, probably around 1974. I was the president in the late 70s, 80s. Kind of board member for many years, and then I transferred away and I came back. And I got back on the board uh, right away. Went through a few different roles, but uh, I, I guess in my lifetime, being part of the Friendship Centre also encouraged me to be more involved in what goes on in Grand Prairie. And what I mean by that is there's other committees, there's other organizations that uh, are part of social aspect of our lives. As an example, one of the first ones is I joined the Community Advisory Committee for the Homeless. That's social. Uh, that's looking at all the ways that we can uh, provide services to the homeless in Grand Prairie. And that's housing, that's uh, support systems. And then uh, also because, uh, because of our health issues that we have as Indigenous people, uh, I also applied for and I got onto the Alberta Health Quality Council, which is uh, really dealing with all the patient and family issues that our people have and how do we deal with them and get the government to change policies and procedures and all that. So yeah, I do sit on a few committees. Uh, I sit on the college one and that's with the indigenous committee there. And what that one does, it's looking at all the different things that the college needs to be doing and trying to emphasize and do more for our indigenous students and maybe even the staff. And the same thing I sit on the, the new hospital committee, indigenous, and telling you guys that uh, we're trying to indigenize it. We want to make it a more safe and friendly place for our Indigenous people. That's social. That's, you know, with our people coming in from all over northern Alberta. And we're, you know, they have a big courtyard where we have a teepee, uh, there's a Red River cart, and there's a great big Inukshuk in the Indigenous courtyard at the hospital. And our committee is the one that kind of promoted all that. We're gonna have traditional gardens, just like we have here uh, for traditional medicines. And of course here, they're also growing a lot of veggies, which is good. So social aspect uh, to me, I think uh, applies to any organization or any committee that's dealing with social issues of any kind here in Grand Prairie. And so i have been actively involved in lots. And it's actually quite a commitment to, You got to go to a lot of meetings. I meant even here with the Friendship Centre as president, you know, I meant uh, there's always little things that need to be done. Uh, And one of the roles as president, you have to sit on all the committees. (laughs) But you don't really have to go to the meetings, but they like it when you do show up. So again, being fully aware of what goes on here is important, and how do you do that? Well, you go to the meetings or I'll I'll just talk to somebody on the committee and they usually let me know. They're pretty good about it. So at
3: Careers Today, we're talking about, um, as an Indigenous youth career coach, one of my roles is to help Indigenous youth feel comfortable in the workplace. How would you make a safe space for Indigenous people in the workplace? Because we were talking about uh, smudge rooms today as well as a mentor to help the youth integrates more into the workforce?
2: I, I think uh, there's, there's many aspects to, to your question. And the example I'll give you is, uh, I guess to me, the first part is uh, companies have to have a, uh, a commitment to hiring. And then not just hiring, but also to retaining employees, uh, regardless whether they're youth or adults or older people. So they need to retain them, and how do they retain them? Uh, And one of the ways, part of your question is, what do they do to uh, ensure that the workplace that they have Indigenous people working in, that uh, there is cultural-related systems to help them while they're there? Not very many companies do that, but they are starting to do that. Uh, Many companies are also starting to have what they call inclusivity and diverse workforces. That's really where that's starting to fit in, where companies are starting to make a conscious effort to help hire Indigenous people in their workforce. So there is positive things going on. I was fortunate working for Procter & Gamble Warehouser for many years, and being a safety manager for my last 16 years, I got to be a mentor for a lot of our Indigenous people that were hired. So I got to work with HR, Human Resources, And how do we make this a safe place for them? How do we deal with the cultural issues that they may have in the workplace? A real simple example is in our culture, when our people die, many of us go to the wakes and the funerals. We just go, all right? That's a requirement, we just go, especially if they're very close relatives, and even relatives. And so we had workers that would take off. They wouldn't tell the boss. So the company and the supervisors and the managers didn't like that. But it was a cultural thing. That's just the way we did it. So I had to work with the HR and the male manager and the uh, supervisors and say, so what can we do different to help our employees so that they feel safe? It's okay for them to go to ceremony. It's, It's okay for them to go to wakes and funerals back home. And uh, the company that I worked for up in Saskatchewan, uh, we came up with policies and procedures where any overtime they worked, they could bank it so that if they had to go away for a day, two days, three days, they still got paid. Whereas if they just get up and leave and go away, that's a risk of being fired. Anybody, right? Anybody can get fired if you don't tell your boss where you're going and if you don't come back after a day or two, you will get toasted. So, again, depending on the company, depending on their policies, how well are companies doing in their inclusivity and diversity programs? And, and so I would encourage people nowadays, if you're interviewing to get a job somewhere, don't be afraid to ask, what is your inclusivity diversity uh, program here? Like, uh, as an example, even at the new hospital, one of my questions is... Uh, so how many Indigenous employees do you have working here? And they don't know. They don't have a number. okay? And I'm saying you should have a number, at least you should know. We have some Métis people that don't self-identify as Métis. We have a lot of people still that don't identify as Métis. And uh, unless you have a Métis card or a 3D card, that's your only definite uh, definition of who you are. Okay, but we have a lot of people that don't have Métis cards. We have a lot of Indigenous people that don't have treaty cards, but they're still Indigenous, right? So, going to the college. How many Indigenous people work at the college? We should be asking those questions. We should be asking, what kind of inclusivity, diversity program do you have? And that's up to us to ask. We need to put them on the spot. And so building on your question, we need to start that in high school, kids in high school. You know, part of the eardrop. Are are they asking that question when in careers, when they go work for somebody? Some people might be afraid to ask that question, but we need our own people to be asking those questions. And like I said, there's a lot of good companies out there. As an example, and because I'm familiar with careers and Danny and Dale, I do know them because I've met them at the high schools where I do mentoring and uh, great, great programs. And uh, I, I think we're on the right track with careers and other uh, other type programs like that. Uh, even the Bridge Network, uh, the school, that's helping quite a bit. And those are to help all the people that are having problems and day-to-day stuff that's going on. And... Uh, that's the only way they're going to survive. But We we provide the help.
1: I'm going to flip the script on you, and I'm going to ask you one. Do you have any questions for these three young Indigenous people here?
2: Well, I would like to just build on the, the statement that I just made is uh, for the three of you. How often do you really, really identify yourself as Indigenous? And what I mean by that is uh, how many people know who are you? Where are you from? And so when I work with the high school students and even the youth, I always ask them, who are you? Where are you from? Are you Métis? Are you Indigenous? And, uh, you know, I went to Peace Wapiti last fall, September, and I was with the grade 12s and I asked everybody, so who are you? Where's your mom and dad from? Do you know if you're Métis or Indigenous or Indian or whatever? And most of the class was non-indigenous there was maybe half a dozen that were you know and some of them were kind of shy or ashamed to say i'm metis there's a lot of that so you need to remember that when you're when you're out there in life be proud of who you are and that's what i tell everybody what i do mentoring at the high schools be proud of who you are find out who you are you know who's metis is it your mom or your dad or your grandparents I had one young kid who said, Yeah, no, my great grandma is a Cree Indian. Perfect. You're Méti, are You're a Metis background. Be proud of that. You know, he was blonde, blue eyed, and white, but he was a Metis. You know, so get everybody to do that. Don't ever be afraid. Lead by example. So don't be afraid to say who you are. Uh, when I was at Peace Wapiti, there was a young guy, one young guy there, and they asked him, Who are you? And he says, well, he gave me a strange name. He was actually a, a Ukrainian student that came in from the Ukrainian war. I said, okay, be proud that you're a Ukrainian. Be proud of who you are. Speaking of that, my daughter, she was going to university. Uh, she phoned me up one night, and she said, Dad, what am I? Well, I had ma- I'm had—I still married to a white woman. How's that? And we had two kids. So my kids are of mixed blood, right? They're Métis, but I'm treaty, right? So they can be treaty. I said, no, she said, Dad, uh, who am I? What am I? I said, why? She said, well, the instructor in one of our cultural classes wants to know. And I said, well, you're of mixed blood, so you're Métis. Your mom is white and I'm an Indian. So you're Métis. Or you're First Nation, or you're a treaty. Oh, said, by the way, your mom is also Dutch. So you're a Dutch person. You can wear those great big wooden shoes if you want. You know? So I said, it doesn't matter. Just say, you can go to First Nation activities, ceremonies, culture c- camps. You can go to Métis ceremonies, jigging and dancing. And you can go join the Dutch club. Those are the three of you. And I said, be proud. You don't need to pick one. Just say, I'm, I'm three of them. And be proud of that. So I highly encourage you guys as youth, uh, and you as you get older, uh, don't be afraid to stand up and be counted. Uh, so my question to you, Rami, is, who are you, and uh, what I will I what I like to ask along with that is, who are you, and who are your parents? Do you know your parents' background? That's a start to find out who you are.
0: Um, well, I only started like. Embracing the fact that I was indigenous about a year ago, because my biological grandmother, who is indigenous from, she's a from Kettle and Stony Point,
2: that's Ontario. Ontario, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and she kind of jumped in the picture a few years ago when COVID first started. She came and stayed with us for a bit. And then that kind of turned into a long-term thing. And so I talked to her and I asked her for advice all the time. And I don't really know anything about my dad's side or my mom's dad's side or anything. All I know is what I know.
2: Okay, let me ask you. uh, So would your grandmother be from your mom or your grandmother be from your dad?
0: My grandmother is from my mom's side.
2: Okay, so I now you have an idea of your your family tree, okay. all right. So if you were to take a look at your family tree, is your grandmother still alive? Yeah. She'd be the one to ask who her mother is, and who her grandmother is. You want to start looking at your family tree and uh, and be proud of that. I'm I'm Indigenous because of this. And when you get older and you get married and you have twenty kids. Oh. Okay, five. Uh. They're going to want to know what their Indigenous background is. So to me, it's up to the parents to provide their kids where they're from. So I encourage all the kids to say, don't be afraid to ask your dad. Interestingly, most kids that I work with, they come from single parent families. Some of them haven't talked to their dad for quite a while. They haven't. And I said, but there is a phone. But you probably have talked to them at some point, sometime. Don't be afraid to sit down, sit down with your dad or whoever and say, tell me about your family. Tell me where they are. How many aunties and uncles do I have? How many cousins do I have? Do you know? And, and so you're trying to look up your family tree by asking those questions. All right? So... Going back to your mom's side, how many uh, aunties and uncles would you have from your mom's side?
0: Um, we don't actually get the privilege to know any of this because my grandmother was taken in the 60s scoop.
2: Th- that is reality. I meant uh, we have some parents, some single-parent families. We have some fathers who don't want to have anything to do with their family, or they don't want to have anything to do with their kid, and so they stay right out of it. But to me, I would still be digging. I would still be phoning. I would still be asking. And maybe someday they will talk with you. Maybe. You don't know, but you got to keep at it and don't give up on it. I want to know my family tree. Like right now, I can tell you, my dad had 18 brothers and sisters. So I have about 100 cousins just because of that. Because every family has 5 to 10 kids, right, my generation. So, yeah. No, it's interesting, uh, but yeah, no. If you ever get a chance, phone your grandmother and say, "Tell me a little bit more about wh- who you are and where you come from." How about you? Who are you?
4: My name is Brett English, and there's a funny story about my last name. I heard that. Yeah. So, my okay. Imagine this: my great 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 uncle went up to one of uh, went up to the guys that gave out uh, English last names. You know, it's like the French got defeated by the English. So he went up to one of the guys that gave out English last names and my uncle, my great, 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 not my uncle, but my great, great grandfather, he only spoke French. So he said, okay, Englishman." (laughs) So just insulted the whole thing. So I could have been Brett French. So that would really be funny.
2: Well, let me just add to that. That is one of the ways a lot of our people got their names is because of the voyageurs, because of the missionaries. Because of the Indian agent, the guys that were documenting who, even during the treaty signing, uh, they were giving out names. As an example, our family is Auger, which is French, by the way. You know, but really it's Auger. But a lot of uh, people from down south, they have real nice, interesting names. You know, so maybe that's what you ended up with.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know I am... So my mother... I know what the both of them are. My mother is from Sisika, and my dad is from Bigani. Bigani, yeah. They signed me off as Bigani. So
2: why? I don't know. Yeah, something to do with treaty. Uh, I think so.
4: It's either that, or it's because my mom doesn't really like her side of like stuff and all that. But I know that I'm that, and my ancestry goes back a bit more. My. My auntie told me one of my great-great-uncles did sign one of the treaties. And...
2: Would that be a Treaty 4, by the way? That's South Pecani area, isn't it? The yeah. area?
4: I think so. It's either that or 7,
2: it's I think. Six. Yeah.
4: Yeah. That's, uh, he did that, and my grandmother had lots of No, it would be my my my, uh we call him Papa, Uh, not Papa, uh, Nampa. He would be like my grandfather, so we just gave him that name. Uh, He his dad was German, so he came from Germany. I do have some British blood, but I don't like talking about it, you know, because colonization, you know, all that stuff. So yeah.
2: Well, I guess my point to that would be is don't be afraid. Know your background no matter what. Yeah. Like you're right. You don't need to talk what about this thing. You, know, you know, I do. There is some German blood somewhere in our family line and leave it at that. You don't need to defend it.
4: Yeah. Mm. The, yeah. I was at my old school. I used to have longer hair and I would braid it up every single day. Was, well, everyone would make fun of it. And it got to that point that I ended up cutting it because it, I just got bullied, yeah. but now I'm starting to get back into it all dancing, respecting my culture. Me and my cousin make so many native jokes. The teachers stop telling us to, to, uh, like just stop.
2: Well, you're you doing all that in our culture. Humor is real big, right? Yeah. But right. watch out for, to me, uh, I'm okay with people using the word Indian. I meant to me in a respective manner, but when it's used in a derogatory way. Yeah. The watch out for what you you guys do is somebody might interpret it the wrong way. Oh, yeah. Right? So if you can do that between just the two of you rather than in any groups or anything. Yeah, it's just me and him, Yeah, and but... just leave it at that. Well, it sounds like you have a fairly good knowledge of your family tree, and that's all we're asking when you say, who are you? Yeah. And, and be proud of who you are. People ask you, oh, I'm, I'm Pitani. You know, don't be ever be afraid to say that I'm Cree, and I'm from northern Alberta. I'm a big stone Cree member. I'm a member of Treaty 8, and that's how I address myself when people ask.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I'm planning to get a Bigani flag because I have a German flag to, like, honor, like, my German heritage. I have a Canadian flag to honor, like, being on...
2: Canadian soil.
4: Yeah, and, well, I was about to say our soil,
2: but, Yeah. Ooh. Our, our land. <laughs>
4: yeah. Ireland. Ireland. I have a British flag as well to honor at yeah. the British. Did you,
2: did you also say Siksika? Yes. Ipikana Siksika. Right. Yeah. Those are two different languages, right?
4: Yes. I'm actually, I have an app on my phone. I have two apps that teach me both languages. So I'm
2: going to try to learn both of them yeah. and speak. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, to me, I, I speak Cree. I'm 100% Cree. Yeah. I speak both quite fluently. Notice how I introduced myself to him?
4: Yes. You did not understand a word you
2: were saying. <laughs> there you go. You got one word. I said, "Tadsa." can you on? I said, which is, hello, do you speak Cree? So anyway, I, and I know your grandmother, right?
4: Yes, Loretta.
2: Loretta. And uh, I know she's very proud of the family. She always talks about her history, her family background from Pekani. And, and so if you follow her lead on how she is culturally, I think you could be a great leader down the road. You, you do it ceremony, you dance. You're already way ahead of a lot of our Indigenous youth, right? And, and don't be afraid to show them and talk to them and help them choose to do the same things. Yeah. And that's what I mean by, it. be proud of who you are and don't be afraid to get other people involved.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. The Bay of podcast would not be possible without the support of Canadian Heritage and the Grand Prairie Friendship Centre.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please make sure to leave a like and a review. Every little bit helps.